Hello, Ilya. Hi. Wonderful to have you on. Thank you. And you are an IEEG affiliate scholar. You are a scientific writer at the Biophysical Schottenstein Center for the Research and Technology of Salome, Bayelon University. I excuse my pronunciation, everyone. And you studied biomedical engineering, Moscow Polytechnical, and this goes on. You got your PhD. Fantastic stuff. And today we are talking about life extension and whatever else might come up. Yes. Now, Everyone has a slightly different story, and usually the stories are pretty amusing about what initially got them interested into this still woefully small subculture. Uh, well, uh, uh, if you ask me why am I interested in life extension, and I'm generally interested in living, it is uh, we who should wonder why everybody else are not interested in this, and why they are not the subculture. Generally, I'm... Um, interested in living. Uh, I was born in the former Soviet Union. There, these ideas were a bit more widespread than, than probably in other places, but uh, generally I think it is the most logical thing to pursue everywhere, and so I'm considering myself the mainstream and others of the subculture. Not the response I expected, but fair enough. I have to agree with you on that one. But and usually someone stumbles on maybe Aubrey de Grey's books or Ray Kurzweil's. There's some sort of point where they say, ah, this, I don't have to die. I don't even have to age. Uh, well, I didn't uh, really need uh, Aubrey or anybody else to tell me that. Uh, I remember when I was about six years old, I, I thought, uh, what am I going to die? Then I ran to my grandfather uh, in Moldova, we live in. Uh, and ask, uh, are you going to die? Uh, am I going to die? He said, uh, yes, but you shouldn't think about the things. Uh, you should think about playing, running around. That's uh, what you're good for. And I thought, no, we should uh, probably think about it and, uh, if possible, try to postpone it and do something about it. Now, your book about history of life extension in the 20th century deals in part with different attitudes towards it, and cross-culturally different people have had different ideas of what dying should be. The Taoists, for instance, had a very progressive idea, whereas we here in the West believe that death is something that can't be stopped and it really can't even be delayed in spite of modern medicine. Many people still hold this idea. So what exactly were the major developments in this time period in the West, in the 20th century, that has led to the modern movement? Uh, well, uh, uh, my big problem with when writing this dissertation, this book, was that I don't uh, speak Chinese or Japanese or any um, Eastern language. Uh, I would have loved to write the history of ideas uh, on uh, life extension research in those places. I bet there was some interesting development in those places where I simply not aware. I was, uh, had access to actually four uh, four subcultures or sub areas. Uh, one was Russia, the second was France, uh, uh, third was uh, Germany and the adjacent countries, Romania, uh, Switzerland, Austria, and the fourth was um, uh, the US and UK. So these are the four major parts of my dissertation, and I uh, dealt with them simply because I could understand what's written about. 
but I bet uh, there were some uh, developments in other places, but uh, simply because this is our culture, uh, culture, then we are focused on that. Uh, and uh, I think that the major developments were simply the beginning of scientific method, uh, the beginning of uh, therapeutic activism in the end of the 19th century. Uh, everybody speaks about the Gilgamesh, how it all started in the ancient Mesopotamia. No, it actually started... Uh, the actual scientific pursuit of black extension started a little more than 100 years ago uh, with people like Eli Mechnikov, uh, Charlotte Dorn Brown Sicar, uh, both uh, were in France at the end of the 19th century, um, simply because that's, well, that was the uh, the hotbed of, of the scientific method of, of therapeutic activism. And they were the first people who proposed this first, probably the first scientific theory of aging, and based on the theory, the first uh, scientific method of black extension. So that's where we should trace the beginning of Now, I recognized one of those names, which was Metchnikov, and I know him only through the book The Microbe Hunters, which is very good, and I recommend it. Uh, what exactly was his involvement explicitly in life extension? Oh, well, Metchnikov is huge. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a great falsification of history that he's only presented as microbiology, as uh, the father of this theory of immunity, which he actually was in, for which he got his uh, uh, Nobel Prize in 1808 uh, together with Paul Ehrlich. But actually, he's absolutely founding figure in the life extension movement. He coined the term uh, uh, gerontology and the term uh, sanatology at the same time, uh, even on the same page in his book of uh, 1903 uh, called uh, On the Nature of Man. And and in his book, he basically laid down the entire lactationist philosophy as we still use today. Uh, first of all, uh, why do we want to extend life? All the usual arguments that death is not a natural process, that death is a very like, uh, like disease, or even disease, he said explicitly. And that's the founder of gerontology. Uh, and uh, then, uh, with this realization that we do want to extend our life, that we should not uh, reconcile to, to our um, early mortality, then uh, he proceeded toward uh, formulating his scientific theory of aging. Uh, he spoke about uh, uh, about uh, the role of intestinal microflora in poisoning our organism. Actually, we are coming back to this now with all this discussion of the microbiome. Uh, and uh, then, based on this uh, uh, on this uh, scientific theory, he proposed a means of life extension, uh, on, uh, mainly by probiotic diets. He was the originator of probiotic diets in the West and in the world. So, of course, people drank yogurt uh, before Meshnikov for thousands of years, but he was the first to propose the scientific rationale why it should actually be beneficial uh, due to suppression of putrefactive microflora in our organism. Uh, so, uh, uh, he was on, uh, also the founder of uh, probiotic industry. And it is uh, very important to note that a lot of uh, people think that the study of aging, of life extension, is a pipe dream, which would never bring any practical results. But his uh, case shows that uh, no, actually, when you study aging, life extension, uh, you come up with uh, pretty, pretty practical and mundane therapies that everybody can use, even if they don't yet produce a very radical extension of life. Uh, but uh, he's an absolutely foundational figure for the legitimization of our movement. He is the founder of gerontology, uh, uh, Nobel laureate, uh, world acclaimed scientist, and he spoke very explicitly about the possibility and the need to extend human life at least to 150 years. So uh, with uh, this kind of, of uh, support and, and uh, authority, we can move forward. 
That is absolutely remarkable. I didn't know any of those things about Michnikov. None of the textbooks I've read present him in that light. In fact, they sort of present him as a slightly eccentric figure who just took an, sort of an Edison-like approach to testing things. I mean, that's just astounding that at that time he recognized the importance of the microbiome of intestinal bacteria. Bravo to him. Yeah, yeah, he was absolutely genius, you know, by any standards, uh, and uh, he's really, really should be our recognized as our hero. I've uh, I've written about it in, in my book. Uh, there's also an article coming out in Advanced Gerontology. Uh, uh, we just celebrated uh, in May uh, this year. We celebrated his 107th uh, anniversary, and uh, next year in July we will be celebrating his or not celebrating, marking uh, his uh, 100th uh, anniversary of death. That's uh, this year's uh, Meshnikov's double anniversary. And we uh, remember him uh, like there are foundational figures for for other scientific fields which are respected. Uh, we should uh, honor him. And more importantly, you know, uh, uh, there is a good uh, uh, PR technique, you know, uh, uh, to have some some kind of authority uh, that uh, you know you could go along. So for our movement, Mexico could be could be our man you know, to, to bring it to mainstream. But he was active in the early 20th century. After him, what comes next? Okay, first of all, if you read Mechnikov, you'll see that there are huge amount of ramifications just from his works alone. Uh, first of all, uh, the, the idea of probiotics, the microbiome, we see it until now, so that's one. Uh, then uh, uh, there was uh, 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 there was his idea of uh, cytotoxic uh, sera. So that's basically systemic immunotherapy. That's basically applying the immune system to not just against specific pathogens, but against senescence, you know, against uh, against general degeneration. And we see just in 2011 we had this study uh, with uh, uh, with elimination of senescent cells by um, NK killer cells. Uh, so that's also basically uh, continues his line of thought. Um, uh, so those are Meshnikov's two major contributions that continue until now. Uh, Around his time, uh, Charles Durand, Eduard Brown Sicard, who is uh, the president of the French uh, Biological Society and uh, Claude Bernard's successor in de France, uh, quite a serious figure, uh, considered one of the founders of endocrinology, he proposed a slightly uh, different direction in, in this research that is still followed by, by many, uh, that is a replacement therapy. Uh, so uh, he was probably the first who introduced it in a scientific measure. He uh, injected himself with uh, uh, with uh, extracts from uh, guinea pigs and dogs' testicles, uh, and that was the beginning of uh, therapeutic endocrinology, basically. But uh, his idea was broader. Basically, he thought that if something is diminishing in our organism, we can replenish it. And this idea has been continuing in various uh, forms and uh, ramifications uh, uh, in the 1930s and 1920s. There was the idea of uh, transplanting animal sex glands. There was quite fo- famous, not actual, uh, not entire glands, but just pieces of glands. But again, the, the idea was that if uh, sex hormones are diminishing in an organism, we can introduce them from without, kind of uh, um, uh, xenotransplantation. So uh, this idea of uh, transplanting uh, failing organs continues to this day. And uh, we see this in various forms, starting from CD printing of organs and tissues uh, to uh, regenerative medicine to stem cells. But all of that 
started in the 1920s, 1930s, uh, with the idea of transportation of uh, animal sex glands into humans. Uh, so once again, we see that uh, uh, with this seemingly far-fetched uh, pursuit of life extension of rejuvenation, uh, people are actually founding uh, the basis of, of modern medicine. And I hope the same thing continues now uh, in our study of life. The next seminal figure on this list would be... Uh, that's a great question. Uh, a lot of people are looking for heroes, uh, you know, with heroes in science, a very cumulative enterprise. Even, you know, such obvious heroes as Meshnikov and Brown Cigar are not, uh, were not alone. Uh, they, they were a part of very active scientific, uh, scientific milieu, scientific uh, corporation. And of course, uh, there were precedents uh, even of their ideas. So, uh, it is very difficult to, uh, to, uh, pinpoint any, any heroes. Especially in this regard, but well, there are well-known figures like uh, after Mechnikov in the 1920s, 1930s, uh, uh, Serge Voronov and Eugene Steiner, who are very famous for their experiments with uh, sex gland transplants and uh, manipulation. You know the so-called uh, endocrine rejuvenation. Yeah. Uh, then in the 1940s there was hiatus. Uh, you know people uh, didn't really want to to work on life extension, were busy killing each other. Uh, after the war, um, the uh, uh, the idea resurfaces and uh, people start uh, some bold experiments with uh, antioxidants. Uh, Denham Harman in 1956 he introduced the idea of antioxidants explicitly for the purpose of rejuvenation and life extension. You know, in his very first article, he speaks that if we want to combat aging. You know, we want to extend life. That was the rationale for, for his studies, and of course, that um, became uh, one of the bases of, of, of modern biology. Uh, of of, uh, of cell signaling, uh, and of course the other um, the other um, advances that were made at the time uh, in the 1960s 1950s uh, they were transplanted virtually all the all the organs in our human body uh, from head to toe uh, and actually both heads and toes were transplanted head was transplanted in monkey by the American William Wright in 1963 and in a dog by the Russian Vladimir Demikhov in uh, 1956. Uh, so uh, you know, these are two other um, uh, figures, um, hero figures. But a- as we come closer to our time, you know, it's, it becomes more and more difficult to find heroes because you know uh, we we see that uh, those people don't work alone. That there are other people in their surrounding. And of course, in our time, the the, the obvious hero is, is Aubrey and you know and and Purcell and and a few others. But you know, uh, don't don't tell anybody because there are many people in this field, probably hundreds. And more. Each, each one is pioneering like, Precisely, it is a team effort. Unfortunately, people demand figureheads, symbols. Yes, yes, precisely. You know, uh, but uh, you know, I think it is a, it is a very productive view to to see everyone as a hero in this endeavor. That's uh, also the importance of our movement. You know, of our flag extensionism is a public movement, is a grassroots movement. You know, we have to understand that the heroes alone will not do. All of us have to have to give it give it a hand. We are all doing a part, and you mentioned self-experimentation, a trend that really has not gone out of style in medicine. And most recently, Liz Parrish giving herself gene therapies, myostatin inhibitor in the telomerase induction system. Now, telomerase is one thing that people have been researching 
but of course it's just one piece of the puzzle. For you, what are the most promising avenues for stalling or reversing the aging process? Uh, well, you're absolutely right, and even Meshnikov did uh, quite a few crazy self-experiments, you know, uh, almost died in two of, died in two of them, uh, so uh, it's a little bit of a balance, you know, advanced science, you know, or risk, uh, risk of life, so uh, we have to be careful, not, it's not for everybody, but definitely it's, uh, it has its place in the history of, of, of science, but uh, for me, and presently, you know, I, I see at least three major directions in, in, in life extension research, uh, one is uh, uh, basically two. Uh, one is uh, a diagnostic, and the other is cure, right? And you cannot have one without the other. You have to understand what is it you are treating in order to, uh, to treat it. So uh, first of all, we have to understand exactly what aging is, you know, and how you can diagnose it. We still don't have this ability, right? And and that's very important. A lot of people talk about recognizing aging as a disease, you know, but in many cases it's just worse, right? Okay, aging is a disease, right? But uh, what are the symptoms? You know, what uh, what exactly are the are the, are the signs of the disease? Are the measures of the disease even more importantly? So without it, you cannot even begin of uh, begin to think about treating it, right? So uh, one direction is diagnostic, and it can range from you know from molecular to the to the systemic level. Of course, everybody speaks about longevity genes, but of course there are no longevity genes. Everything works in in tandem in in relation to each other, also the epigenetic regulation is very important. Uh, but there are all kinds of, you know, all kinds of aging, all kinds of things uh, by which you can diagnose aging. Uh, so that's a very important direction of research. We're not nearly anywhere close to, to defining aging in clinical terms as we define cancer, for example, right? So against which we can uh, prescribe something. So uh, the one direction is, is uh, diagnostic, the second direction is therapeutic. Still, even without a complete understanding, you can and at least uh, begin to think about meddling with, uh, with, uh, with this process. The most promising field to my mind is regenerative medicine. I'm not a practicing specialist, but, uh, but uh, to me it looks quite promising, you know, uh, using a transcription factor to, uh, to, uh, to remodel, you know, to reprogram our, our tissues. Uh, I think this is very promising. Uh, but also the uh, uh, the use of uh, so-called geroprotective substances, uh, also a little bit promising, but I think less promising than uh, regenerative medicine simply because of its non specificity You know, when you take a drug, you know, you, you never uh, know when this drug will end up. Uh, so, and what, what dose you should take and uh, to whom this dose should be given. So, it's a little bit of risky business. So, when you overdose, you know, you should always remember the saying of uh, Paracelsus of the 16th century, the dose makes the poison, right? There is nothing in the world without the poison and uh, only the dose makes the poison. So that's perfect saying for all the geroprotective, so-called geroprotective anti-aging drugs. Uh, that's probably why uh, not a lot of them uh, proved any clinical efic- efficiency so far, the, the ones that have been tried. But still there is uh, this direction. Uh, but more importantly, perhaps uh, those uh, two directions uh, converge in some points. You know, uh, now we begin to hear, hear, hear about uh, drugs that induce rejuvenation, uh, oh, sorry, uh, regeneration. Uh, without even uh, uh, culturing these issues, so I think it is very promising. And uh, uh, this curative direction, uh, you know, regenerative medicine in general terms, I think is very promising. Yes, the impression that I formed about geroprotectors is they could be extremely useful in conjunction with personalized medicine, in conjunction with 
genomics and with epigenomics. Otherwise, you're just sort of taking shots in the dark. You're not entirely sure what exactly is going to happen for everyone. They may have some generally good effects for the majority of the population, but not for every single person. And if you're one of those people who does not respond well, then you're sort of out of luck, particularly if there are no symptoms of adverse side effects. Uh, you're precisely right, you know, but it's even more complex than this, you know. Uh, 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 of course, personalized medicine is, is very important, but that's, that's a bit of a catchword at, at this stage. It doesn't mean uh, much in practical terms because we still don't know how is it exactly we're going to you know, personalize those treatments and uh, what they exact dose, because it's not just genes, genes, it's also the general physiological state, it's the energy levels in every particular mo- moment, uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, microelement balance. It's a huge amount of factors, so we, we can't even uh, begin to, to begin fathom. So uh, it's, it's not so easy, but uh, definitely the direction is there, you know, uh, it is the thought of uh, making treatments more personal. Uh, that's an important thought, uh, but I hope, I hope we get there. And uh, once again, I, I don't, I really don't expect us solving aging anytime soon. I do hope, uh, you know, any anytime in in my lifetime, our lifetime. But uh, really, that's such a complex problem that uh, you know, it's, it's probably not going to be solved uh, very soon. But uh, that shouldn't deter us, you know, uh, for for a scientist, you know, for for, for a person of uh, uh, who's interested in 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 science. The more difficult the problem, the more interesting it should be. You know, if it was a simple problem that could be solved tomorrow, we it shouldn't probably bother. But because it's such a huge problem, then I think that's where our effort should should be directed. That's well, that is the beauty of it because it involves so many interlocking systems. If you take something like sarcopenia, that's something that just seems to happen over time as a person ages, and it's related to all sorts of metabolic disorders, or, well, to metabolic syndrome, and then to the disorders that come out from that, and then to the other disorders that are related, correlated with metabolic syndrome. It's so rich and so wonderful, and you have to take into account genome, epigenome, microbiome, lovely, but when you said that personalized medicine has or means very little practically now, you are correct, but as you well know, today's pipe dreams are tomorrow's realities. Uh, that's right, that's right. That's why I emphasized that uh, in, in the beginning, even in, in the history of this pursuit, we see that uh, when people pursue seemingly pipe, uh, pipe dreamy uh, endeavors, like, like mentioned, if you want to pursue your age, right? He produced very tangible, very practical uh, uh, interventions like probiotic diets that everyone can, can buy and sell. So I'm I'm very hopeful in this regard. Yes, we're going to uh, to get uh, quite a few uh, tangible uh, interventions and improvements, uh, but I don't think we we are uh, anywhere close to to solving uh, the problem of aging as a whole. Because as you said, uh, it's hugely complex. Have you seen the the uh, metabolic map? Uh, you know. <laughs> It's just, you know, it's just thousands and thousands of pathways, and uh, you try to intervene in one path with how does it affect the others. Uh, so maybe it's just buffers, or you have no effect whatsoever. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm very hopeful. A lot of advancements are going on. Uh, the USC uh, breakthroughs almost every day, uh, both practical and uh, breakthroughs in terms of uh, in terms of uh, regenerative medicine. Uh, 
but also theoretical diagnostic advancements. So yeah, I hope we'll progress, uh, but I'm not sure we'll progress uh, fast enough uh, for us to, to, to benefit from radical access. But uh, we, we should do our best. You know, you never know. You know what? I'm just surprised. Well, I'm still a very young man, so I hope I hope I can benefit from something. Are there any companies in particular, or any researchers that you follow? Uh, yeah, I, I follow a lot of. Of them, you know, my dissertation uh, uh, includes uh, over 100, oh, sorry, 1,300 uh, bibliographic notes, and each one includes uh, um, up to several dozen references. So, I, in my book, I surveyed a lot of research until uh, until the end of 2014. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I follow, I follow researchers, but if you ask me, you know, uh, wh- wh- where should I invest my money, <laughs> and whose whose uh, uh, whose um, options and and whose uh, uh, whose bonds I should buy, you, you should buy? I, I wouldn't tell you because it, it's such a diverse field, and you never know what uh, uh, what uh, what will what will be successful. I think we should uh, you know uh, put our eggs in all the baskets, you know, to to try to to see uh, as broad a picture possible, uh, and generally to set this goal of life extension of uh, combating aging, you know, because when people uh, set this broad goal, they they start to advance toward it uh, by by very specific means and. Uh, Cannot control all the various means that people people advance, but uh, it's important to set this goal, you know, as the priority, you know, as the uh, um, drive for, for for development. Right, and as a disclaimer, I should state that in no way is this show about getting people to invest money anywhere. No advice, but I was mostly just curious about the work that any company is doing that is especially fascinating to you or should be brought to the public's attention? I think the, the works that, uh, uh, that uh, the people who work with energy metabolism are quite promising. You know, if you look at, at uh, most of the, of the so-called protective drugs that have been Effective. A lot of them uh, simply affect uh, the level of oxygen supply that uh, concerns uh, rapamycin and, and metformin and resveratrol. Uh, at some level, they, they do affect energy metabolism. So I would look in that direction. And uh, besides the drugs, there are other things that affect the metabolism, energy metabolism, oxygen supply in particular. There was this uh, very promising uh, study of, of uh, oxygen uh, uh, microparticles, you know, to, to supply oxygen to the fish. Uh, body parts. I think this is very promising, you know, as, even as a practical means. Even now, you know, because uh, let's let's say uh, 100% of uh, cases of death are due simply due to uh, to lack of oxygen supply you know, in, in the final analysis. All the various uh, factors can lead to it, but you know, um, people die from lack of oxygen supply. So uh, any means to you know to uh, to supply this oxygen, uh, this oxygen, you know, to to a dying person, uh, be it. Uh, a bit from uh, microparticles, you know, um, some people envision uh, uh, respirocytes or, or, or uh, uh, nanoparticles, oxygenated nanoparticles, uh, you know, a little longer along the line, um, or just, you know, by common means like uh, hyperbaric oxygenation, you know, th- these things can be promising, you know, just prolonging people's life who are dying, uh, you know. So I, I'd look a little bit more into that direction a lot. Of people, you know, look at, at uh, you know at the genomics, pharmacogenomics, all these kind of things. Uh, uh, not sure how uh, how useful this is going to be in the short run. 
uh, maybe when there is a comprehensive map of all the genes, all the metabolic pathways, uh, we can manipulate. But for now, you know, as an investment, I would invest in this kind of resuscitation technology. Now, recently in a book on comparative gerontology, I read about certain animals that are resistant to the effects of oxygen deprivation, and because they produce large amounts of telomerase throughout their lives, resistant even to forming scar tissue, is comparative gerontology a fertile ground of inquiry, or is it just a curiosity? Uh, yeah, I think it is a very, uh, very... Um, um, for the grant for, for inquiry, you know, uh, it, it started actually with Aristotle. Actually, the first theories of aging, they were not very scientific, you know, they, they just observation of these animals die uh, uh, in this way and those animals die in that way. But uh, it all starts with comparison, you know, uh, and uh, this still goes on today. But, uh, for example, uh, people heard about the, uh, the, uh, the, the whales, uh, you know, the bow whales. You know, and and uh, how they live for 200 years, and what genes they have. But actually, if uh, people looked a bit more at their metabolism, how do they metabolize? How they um, uh, process oxygen? Uh, we may learn uh, uh, more also for for more practical life extension. Uh, uh, so I think yes, it is important to look how different organisms age. Uh, but you know, shouldn't get uh, too stuck in this in this field. You know, because yes, we can learn about mechanisms. Um, uh, from those animals, but about interve- for interventions, we will have to probably get our hands dirty, you know, to try to actually experiment with something. Uh, but uh, maybe, you know, may- maybe we can also experiment with uh, with, uh, with various types of animals, because a lot of people are focused on mice, but maybe it's more important to experiment on, on bow whales, but it's a bit difficult, you know, to see the, the, the lifespan effects, you know, when the animal lives 200 years. Uh, but uh, generally, it can also be a fruitful experimental area. Now, we were going back to the Gero protectors. As you, I'm sure you're aware, significant advances are being made in drug delivery systems. And in fact, that is something I was collaborating on with my partner earlier this year for her thesis. With these more sophisticated methods, do you suppose that these things could be enhanced to the point where most everyone would be taking them? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, uh, the the keyword is really specificity, really specificity. Because as you mentioned, uh, uh, the process of aging is extremely complex. You know, different uh, organ systems uh, age at different uh, at different rates, so it's really uh, very difficult to impose. You know, to give a single cure, uh, you know, a, a single uh, pervasive drug that will cure everything. You know, but if you uh, learn to target specific uh, specific interventions uh, into specific uh, uh, targets, I think it can be promises. And I tell you, um, I think uh, uh, one of the more uh, promising directions is uh, uh, using this kind of nanoparticles, this kind of uh, advanced delivery systems against the nest itself. Because uh, a lot of people uh, eliminate senescent cells by uh, uh, by uh, immunological means, by uh, you know by uh, killer T cells or by by vaccination. But I think if we apply uh, uh, nanotechnology, if we apply nano devices um, of the kind we are developed actually in our university, in Barcelona University in Israel, uh, that we already applied to, to eliminate cancer cells. If we could apply this kind of uh, 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 non-technology to eliminate senescent cells, I think this would also be an important advance. 
So you're absolutely right. Uh, delivery, uh, you know, uh, point of targeting is very important. All right. From the mid 20th century onward, well, we had Harman and the, the radical theory of aging. That's one major development I'm aware of. But what else was going on? Uh, well, a lot of things was going on. You know, uh, if you look at the at the actual theory of of of, of, of aging, you know, that people are used now or try to manipulate, uh, you'll find huge amount of similarities. Uh, you know, in in the 1950s and 1960s. You know, in, in uh, 1963, uh, there was published a book uh, that uh, it was called "The Future of Man," uh, described a symposium um, that took place in 1963 uh, in London. Include some, included some, uh, some of the key figures in the field, like, uh, Albert Sanziorgi and, uh, Watson and, uh, uh, Alex Comfort. Uh, and, uh, the things we're talking about are very, very similar to what we're discussing now. They talked about, uh, even about nanotechnology. They talked about nanoneedles and, uh, they talked about eugenics and they talked about mechanics, that is, uh, manipulating, manipulating the, uh, uh proteins, uh, you know, to, to extend life. So the, the the topical similarity is really astounding. So uh, when we wonder how much uh, uh, how much have we advanced in this in this year, but uh, we did it well advance at least um, in 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 terms of technical uh, capacity. You know, in this, uh, in terms of the ability to manipulate to to discern those uh, those structures. You know, to diagnose them. So, uh, but the the basic concepts uh, were laid down already in the 1950s, 1960s. So. It's really a very similar period. It's just the diverse molecular biology, and still uh, a lot of a lot of uh, current biology is molecular. Right, it's the current paradigm, uh, and it all started in the work of fifties. There, there may be slightly different paradigms. There's the more energetic paradigm that looks more on metabolism and on energy transfer, physiological uh, paradigm. Uh, but there's still, still a lot, a lot, um, a lot has been, has been found. There's maybe the, the two main foundational uh, periods in our history, uh, the one at the end of the 19th century and then the other. Maybe we are experiencing our third, you know, as a kind of new renaissance, you know, just from the sheer combination of forces, from the sheer you know, force of convergence. It's uh, maybe too early to tell. Right, wonderful. We have about 40 minutes recorded here, and if you have any concluding remarks, uh, the floor is yours. Uh, yeah, thank you, first of all, for, for allowing me this floor, and uh, I was actually expecting some uh, some questions about uh, you know the deposits of life extension, that's something uh, where I'm also uh, quite strongly involved, because I do believe that uh, the it's not entirely uh, up to scientists. Uh, a lot uh, depends on on actual public, you know, on us. And I don't consider myself you know, a practicing scientist, but I, I am a science advocate. Uh, so uh, just just in terms of funding, if, if people are interested, then then the science will the science of flight extension will get more funding. And I've been uh, quite strongly involved in in this area. You know, I've been trying to advance some public initiative, for, for example, the 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 international campaigns for, for aging research, for longevity research, like the Longevity Day in October, uh, back in October, or Meshnikov Day that we advanced uh, back in May. Uh, and uh, I think it is a very important area, which I hope uh, will also uh, 
of the additional supporters. So, uh, when people study the science of longevity, they will, in addition, also learn the history of longevity and uh, the, uh, the activity of the adults. I have discussed the political aspect of longevity with a couple guests, but if there are a few things that you feel need to be said that are not normally said, go right ahead. Uh, okay, so just, you know, guys, please get involved. Your life depends on it, you know. If you should see my raised fist, you know, with the, like, uh, no pasaranda gesture, uh, that's the one I'm making now. Uh, but uh, seriously, yeah, I think it is a very important cause. I think uh, everybody should get on board in some capacities or is researchers or volunteers or science advocates. Uh, uh, just, you know, just uh, learn a little bit more about this field and, and try to get involved uh, any way you can because this, this, is, this is what uh, Paradigm Shift is about, you know. Uh, there were some great scientists in, in, um, in the 15th and 16th century that thought that maybe the, the, uh, the Earth is, is not in the center, maybe the Sun is the center, but uh, they're great. But until every pe- person in the street started uh, to think that, yeah, the, the Sun is actually... Uh, is in the center, not the earth. You know, uh, the, the world uh, the, didn't didn't really didn't really change. It's it's up to the public, up to the general populace, you know, to to shift the paradigm. And I think uh, the more of us get interested and involved, the better. I couldn't agree more. And there are so many ways to do that now. You can do puzzles on Eterna. You can do fold it. If you're ambitious, you can go to Project Roslyn and learn how to do bioinformatics or even citizen biology if you don't have the time to pursue a degree. Yeah, it's, it's all fantastic and we will include many links and resources for anyone who's interested on the podcast page. Great, great. Excellent. Don't forget the link to my book, uh, longevityhistory.com. Oh, of course. That's, that is a link numero uno. I like people to get a little bit of business out of coming on the show. Thank you. But by the way, there's no business here. It's, uh, the book is, uh, you know, completely free for download. You know, it's available as HTML, as a PDF download. There are also interesting articles. So just, uh, oh, extending, yeah. extending human life is your business. Right, right. That's true. All right, I am going to hit the stop button on the recording. Thank you. Thank you. Let's be here.